If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4, or if you have your iPhone or iPad or however you look, Ephesians 4, verse 17. It's a very small passage today, verses 17 through 24. It's a very simple concept in this. And remember this summer, if you've been away and traveling, we've been in the book of Ephesians. We're gonna be all the way through Labor Day, God willing, in Ephesians. We'll be working it. We're in chapter four, a little over halfway through. But just to give us a reminder of where we are, where is Ephesus? Ephesus is the city that the Ephesians are named. And it's very important because today he's talking about Ephesus and the Ephesians. And he's talking about what to do and what not to do. So we need to bring them back in mind. Need to understand we're at about, um, in the first century AD after Christ, uh, 30 or 40 years after Christ, it's in the city of Ephesus, which is a Gentile city. It's a Greek city now controlled by Rome, but it still has the Greek culture. The word that they use, and it's been used more in the last couple hundred years about it, it's called, they were Hellenized. Now, when I was a kid and I heard the word Hellenized, I always thought it meant they were in hell or something. Hell. It has nothing to do with hell. It's just the anglicized word of a Greek word that means Greek culture. Those of you who are Greek can explain it to us another time. But understand that it has nothing to do with hell or good or bad. I mean, there is good and bad in it, but it's the Hellenized culture of Ephesus. Now, what does that mean? Ephesus was a big city. It was on in Asia Minor, as it's called in the Bible. We would today call it Turkey. Two big cities around it now are the city of Kushadasi and the city of Istanbul. It's kind of halfway between Kushadasi and Istanbul on the western side of Turkey, overlooking the Aegean Sea, if you like geography, and if you don't, it doesn't matter. Except this, is that it was a coastal city with a port. And we know that because you've heard me preach before about Paul coming to Ephesus by boat. Well, it's no longer on the coast. When you go to the ruins of Ephesus, it's about a mile away from the coast. Now, how could that be? The, way it is, the reason is because there was a river coming out of the mountains that was feeding the port that this was at. Well, they didn't have dredging back then. And so out of this river, out of the mountains came silt and sand and debris, and eventually the port was closed. And they moved the port down a little bit. And when they closed it, that might have been three or 400 years AD, because it was there for a while, they closed the city basically. And the city went in ruins and actually began covered up by trees and debris and grass. And it was lost to everyone until about 130 years ago, when some archeologists found it, discovered where it was, and they were looking in the wrong place because they were looking by the sea, but it's a mile away from the sea and they finally found it. And it's interesting, they have excavated it. And if you like archeological digs, look it up, but there's some of the best archeology span and some of the best restored buildings or remnants of buildings from that era in all of the Middle East. It's my favorite set of ruins. Elizabeth gets so mad at me when we're traveling. She goes, how many more rocks do we have to look at? How many more columns do we, I get about a week with her. If it's over a week, I've got to go, you stay here. I'm going to go look at some more rocks. But Ephesus is unbelievable. And there's four parts to it and they're still there today. 
they're, I mean, in ruined form. Number one, there was a temple there. It was called the Temple of Diana. Diana was the goddess in Greek mythology of fertility, prostitution, you know, all the, you can let your imagination go. I don't need to describe all of it. And they had a temple of that. Well, the Romans changed everybody's name and it became known as Artemis. So when you hear of the story in Acts, it's the story of Artemis and the the little goddess um, um, idols that they had were the idols to Artemis, but Artemis and Diana are the same thing. And it's the temple of Diana. The temple of Diana, you can walk through it. There's no roof on it or a little partial roof, but it's there. This was the place of religious worship in Ephesus during the time when Paul came there in the time that Ephesians was written. So there was a religious side. There was also one of the biggest libraries in the ancient world. The largest was in Alexandria in Egypt, but this was a huge library. And if you go there today, the, the huge facade, it's two stories, it's, un, it's an unbelievable thing. They spent a lot of money to house their scrolls. It was a library because the Greeks valued education, intellectual thinking, and obviously they do because we think of Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, etc., who lived before this time, and there's so many more, but they valued it. It was the intellectual area, an intellectual center for that whole region. Then there was another place called the amphitheater, which they discovered and undid. And amphitheaters back then were done for a lot of things. This was not a circus amphitheater where they did chariot rides. They might've had that as well. This was for speaking. And I remember when we went there, there were about 2,000 seats in terms of marble and stone seats all the way around. And our guide spoke not much louder than me without a microphone, and you could hear it from every seat. The acoustics were unbelievable. It was the cultural center of Ephesus. This is where they did the plays, where they did different things. A lot of them were very bad and very irreligious and very sensual and all the other things, but they did it there. So they had, they had this religious headquarters, they had this intellectual headquarters, they had this cultural headquarters in Ephesus because it was a big city, and then they actually had the city square. They didn't call it a city square back then, that's kind of a Middle Ages version, but they had a place of commerce. And this is where they sold the goddesses of Artemis and Diana and all these other things in there. So there was a business side of it. There was four parts of this culture and it was huge. Now what's interesting about this is Paul says this, look in the first, I just wanna read the first phrase. He says in verse 17 of chapter four, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now that's a throwaway phrase. Just don't walk like the Gentiles do, throwaway phrase. But it really isn't because most of the New Testament divides people into them and us. Don't be like those hypocrites, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, be like me. Don't be like those people who don't pray, be like me. Don't be like those pagan Canaanites be like me, God said. You see, you, it's always them and us. But here, the them is us. 
Do you see the difference? He says, you must no longer walk like the Gentiles. He doesn't say, don't walk like the Gentiles. Don't walk like the hypocrites, the sensual, and name anything you want to name. He's saying, you don't walk like them because you are them. You are the Gentiles. Don't walk anymore the way you used to walk. And this is so different because it just used to be it's the bad guys and ladies and it's the good people. And I'm in the good group. Now he's saying, you're all bad. And just don't do it anymore. And he now begins to describe it. So let me just say it and then we'll read it. He says, put off the old and put on the new. Anything harder than that? Put off the old, put off the temple of Diana, the libraries of, of uh, the intellectuals. He's not to be, not to worship and not to be intellectual. You can worship and be intellectual, just don't worship like they do in the temple and don't be intellectual like they are with the Greeks and you know Aristotle, et cetera. And he says, um, don't do this. And so he's saying, Put off the old, put on the new. Now, if that's all he said, we would get it. The problem here is this is what we do, is we tell people, put off the old and put on the new. But we don't tell them how. We tell our kids, don't do what they do. Do what Christians do. We tell our uh, wayward nephew, our wayward brother-in-law, our wayward whatever, and we go, stop doing that, start doing this. And we miss the whole middle part, which is take off the old, be transformed, put on the new. And we skip the be transformed part. And he is talking about being transformed. Now, how do we become transformed? Now, there are two ways that are described let's say, through church history on how we are transformed. Let me give them to you, and then we're going to read it and talk about it. So the, um, there was a thing called the Protestant Reformation. Everybody know what that is? Okay, when the church was reformed back about 500 years ago, but it actually started about 700 years ago. We as, I'm a part of the Reformation. I'm a product of the Reformation. A lot of people who are a part of the Reformation want to throw out everything that's not to deal with the Reformation. In other words, um, the Catholics were not. If you're a former Catholic or you're a Catholic here, I love Catholics. I love the early Catholics, especially their writings and their devotions are unbelievable. But there was a difference there. So I'm not bashing Catholics. I'm just talking there's a difference. And this is the difference. And I never really saw, and here I am, I have degrees in this, until this week when I was reading about the Reformation and some of the, the people's belief and how they became believers about 500 years ago. And this was it. The issue becomes, how is your soul fed as a Christian, as a follower of Christ? How is your soul? In other words, how do you grow? How did, how did you come to faith in Jesus Christ? And there's two schools of thought. One school of thought is we as pastors and priests and clerics hear from God and give it to the rest of the people. That is one way. And that's what we're doing right now. I heard from God this week and I'm speaking to you. That's one way. 
The other way that the Protestant Reformation came through and was saying that you can listen to God directly and that you don't need me or a cleric or a nun or a monastic or a priest or a bishop or a pope to hear from God. Now they can hear from God and they can talk to us about that too, but you can hear directly from God and to God because the only mediator the Reformation fathers and mothers said was Jesus Christ. It was not the clerics. It was not the pastors. It was not the clergy. Do you see the difference? So put off the old, put on the new means that you need to have a personal relationship with the Almighty God to then put on the new. You need to be renewed before you can become new and put on new things. Do you see the difference there? And here's how it plays out. And we think um, it's so bad, but it's not. It's just different. And that is is that um, the priests think and say, and say sometimes, and I heard a guy say this to me this week. I went to a church and they said, don't read the Bible. No, that's true. Did anybody ever be told don't read, you don't need to read the Bible? Raise your hand. At a church or at a school or what? Yes, you have. Why? It's not because they're pagan. It's because they believe that the Bible comes to certain people and then that message gets to us or to you. How do I mean? So the Catholic Church has a thing called sacraments, right? And your soul gets fed through the sacraments. You're baptized as a child, christened, Uh, You have confirmation as a young boy or girl when you're 12 years old. You go to Mass to experience the Eucharist and confession. See all this? All this is done by other people to you and with you. And then when you're sick, you're anointed. And there's nothing wrong with anointing. I anoint. I go visit the sick. And then there's the holy rites when you're about to die, last rites. And then there are two more, that, that will make eight if you count up everything I said. They're technically seven, but the last ones are the holy orders and marriage. Those are the last two sacraments. Now the holy orders is what I have. I became a pastor, I became separated, I became called and all the rest. And they would say that is and that why they don't allow them to be married is because you become married to the church. And then those who have marriage, which is another sacrament, get married to their spouse, to their wife or their husband. You see, everybody gets to participate, but they participate at different levels. Why am I saying all this? Because there's nothing wrong with marriage and all these other things and confessing to someone else because the Bible says, confess your sins to one another. So there's nothing wrong with that on a technical basis. But the reality is this, is that we believe you can have direct access to God himself. You and I have direct access to God. God has direct access to us. We don't need a priest to help us up or a prophet to help us down. All we need is the word of God. The living word is Jesus Christ. The written word is the Bible. So, back, and this is what makes the Reformation so reformed, is that they put the Bible in the language of the people. See, before it, it was in the Latin, 
And nobody could read Latin unless they went to school, and the only ones who really went to that kind of school were the clerics. So you couldn't even read the Bible if you wanted to read the Bible because you didn't understand it. And then all of a sudden, the Bible gets opened up into German, into Dutch, into the Scandinavian languages, and then finally into English. English was not the first, but it came to those of us who are English speakers. Those of you who are Portuguese and Spanish and Creole speakers, you have the Bible in your own language because 515 years ago, there were people that said, we can have direct access to God. And it's so important because there's a renewal that has to happen. You put off the old, you put on the new, but you need to be renewed beforehand. Now let's look at the scripture and figure out what that means. Verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And then he starts describing, and he doesn't do it in the exact way I described it. He's better than I am. He did it in ways that they would fully understand what he was talking about. In the futility of their minds, darkened in their own understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. This is what was occurring at those, that temple of worship and at the uh, amphitheater. And at the other places I just described, this is what was happening at the library with the intellectual thinking that left out God. And of course, the commerce that was buying and selling these idols and other things as well. They have become callous, verse 19 says, and given themselves up, of course, to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And some of that practice was business practices. Though he didn't talk about business, that's what he's talking about. He, it is talked about in the book of Acts in Ephesus, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Now that phrase is the only place in the Bible that I could find it that way. We usually don't say learned Christ. We usually say learned about Christ or learned the love of Christ or learn the life of Christ, or learn the way of Christ, or learn the resurrection of Christ. But here it says, the way you learned Christ. There is a Christ way, and there is a non-Christ way, is what he's saying here. The way of the Gentiles, and they were all Gentiles, so it's not that they were Gentiles, it's that they were, it was a way of life that they had. And he's saying, leave that way of life and come to the way of Jesus. You've learned Gentile, now learn Christ. Now I was reading one, a book on this and the author said, you could put any name in there you wanna put in because in your life you may have learned American. Now learn Christ. You may have learned evolution. Learn Christ. You may have learned greediness in business. Now learn Christ. You see that? You may learn, have learned bad ethics. Now learn Christ. You can put anything in there that you have learned that is not about the way of Christ. 
And he's saying, put it off. Put it off. And you need to learn Christ. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Just underline that piece. Assuming, verse 21, that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth in Jesus. Now, it's interesting because Paul uses the word Jesus and Christ somewhat interchangeably in his writings, but here I think it's purposeful. Christ is the Latin word for Messiah. Christos, it's the Greek word actually, not Latin, sorry. Greek word, Christos, Christ, is the Messiah. He could have as easily said, learn Messiah. And then he says, it's through Jesus Christ. Some of these people, like the Apostle John, Jesus' own earthly mother Mary, were in this congregation. There were some who knew Jesus when he was here. He's saying, the Jesus you've heard from John and Mary and the others is the Christ. Learn Christ. And the reason it's so important is because many of the followers, and if I can use my quotes, if you're listening to this on the radio later or in you know, a podcast, I'm putting quotes around this. They have learned about Jesus, about Christ in the wrong way. They have learned him like you learn in a library. They've just turned him into another philosophical system. And it is a good system. Christianity is a great system, but that's not what it's about. It's learning Christ. Church is a great system, but it's not about church. It's about Christ. Do you see that? He says, it's all about Christ. He doesn't go, it's about the fruit of the Spirit, and it's about this, and it's about that. He does that in the other parts of Ephesians. He just stops and says, it's about Christ. Learn Christ. If you learn Christ, it all the rest comes together. But you gotta learn Christ to put on the new. And again, so many times we say, put off the old. I've got friends who... You know, and I was in business for so many years who had bad ethics. I used to have several offices. This is off key, off key. I haven't, wasn't planning to say this. My son will go, you didn't plan to say that. So I had, uh, I don't know how many, a bunch of offices. One of them, there wasn't an ethical person in the building. Not one ethical person. It was a group of unethical I would say borderline illegally working their trade. And I walk in as their boss. So I have somewhat of a Pollyanna view of how I can lead people back then. I was in my 30s and I go, I'll fix all these people. I'll get them to stop doing the bad and start doing the good, right? Two years later, I went to the president of the company. I said, I can't change these people because I wasn't doing Christ. I was just saying, stop doing what you're doing and start doing good. Now, some people just, they don't have to be Christians to be ethical. These people just couldn't get the word ethics. They couldn't get the word do it right. They couldn't get the word don't forge signatures. I go, how can you do this? No, I'm serious. They're forging people's signatures. And now it's even much easier to do it with computers. And I finally said, I have to get out of this because these people, I was trying to change them without changing their heart, and I just couldn't do it, because the money was bigger than their heart was. The money was much bigger, and it was, it was amazing. It was every single person in the office. It was a group of people. I won't even tell you where it was. Thank God it closed down. 
Thank God. That, that one office closed down. But what does he say? Verse 20, but this is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth. Now, 22 is the crux and 23 is the crux of the whole thing. Get your pen out, get your yellow liner for your iPad, whatever you do, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires whether it's from the temple or from the library or from the amphitheater or from the marketplace, it doesn't matter. Put it off to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. To be renewed, and what is it to be renewed by? To be renewed by Christ, which he just said in the previous sentence. You put it off you know, how many people have I said, you know, that's abusing some kind of substance, whatever it is, and I'll say, stop doing it. And they go, okay, and then they start doing it. Why? Because they haven't renewed their heart. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and then put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. People who put on the new self without being renewed are hypocrites. That's what a hypocrite is, because they cannot live it. Now, it doesn't mean you're perfect. When you've been renewed, you put on the new, and you still make mistakes, you just confess them and say, you know what, I've made mistakes, you, you know, and just go forward. But if you haven't had that renewed life, it's all fake. I'm just trying to be something I'm not. Now, what we don't get here is this is a clothing illustration. Clothing, clothes. Not clothing, but clothe. Back then, people wore certain types of clothes, and when they changed, they wore other types of clothes. The only place we get this in the American society is at a graduation. You go to school, you're finished, you go to graduation, you put on that long robe, the mortarboard, the little tassel, right? You have changed clothes. And when you walk out of that room, everybody knows you are different. You walked in the room without a degree. You walked out of the room with a degree. Do you see that? Now, in the olden days, you would keep wearing that robe. When you went to work, you would wear that robe. Nowadays, we don't do that. But the only place we do this is really like... Um, I was thinking bakers do this. They're given, doctors do this, and they actually have a robing ceremony in medical school where you're given the robe, the white robe with your name on it. Okotong Community Hospital in your name, Dr. So-and-so, you're robed, right? Because you were once, it doesn't mean you were unrobed, naked. What it means is you were not a doctor, now you are robed and you are a doctor. And what changed was that education, that middle part. You just don't come from non-doctor to doctor by putting on the robe. The robe does not make you a doctor. It's what you did here that made you a doctor. It's what's here that made you the baker. It's what's here that made you whatever you're wearing in the clothes area. And that's what they would do. So they would see somebody and they knew they had been trained because they were wearing the clothes. And Paul is saying, take off those old clothes be renewed in your spirit. Come to Christ. 
be taught Jesus and put on Jesus's clothes, which is righteousness, holiness. Later on, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. These are all parts of the robe. Do you see it? It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. That's all this is about. Put off the old, be renewed, put on the new. If you get that, that's all you need to know today. Usually I give you 10 points and all these other things, but let me bring it into play now. I've shared this story years ago. Elizabeth and I had a very dear friend who um, had leukemia, leukemia. I'm not a doctor, I see doctors all over here, you guys and ladies know what this is about, but I don't. Basically his blood was killing him. He didn't have the right things in his blood, the bone marrow and all. And again, I was playing basketball during science class, so I have no idea how this all works. I never made it through science, I always was playing sports. But he called us up and said, I'm dying. He was young, he was 50 or whatever at the time. He's, I'm dying, I'll never see you again. And we're crying and we're very close friends, Elizabeth and I, with him and his wife and his kids as they grew up with our kids, the whole thing. And, um, and then they found a donor for a bone marrow transplant, a donor. I said, who's the donor? He said, my sister is the perfect donor. He's all these t- tests and she was like, fit them all. And so they did this bone marrow transplant, and I'm not smart enough to tell you how it all happened, but afterwards, then they test him every week for these periods of weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. It's called a chimera, chimera test. Chimera was uh, a two-headed uh, animal back in mythologies, uh, a head of a goat and a head of a lion. I said, why is it called a chimera report? And he said this, after he was feeling better and all the rest. He said this, he said, when you take my blood, I have the DNA of my sister. In other words, so he said, if I rob a bank, it's my sister who's going to jail. (laughs) He said though, but if you take a Q-tip and swab my saliva, it's my DNA. He had two DNAs in his body. His blood DNA was his sister's, and his original DNA was still there. I have no idea how it works. Ask somebody else smarter than me. But as I sat there and listened to him tell us that in person, I realized that's exactly the story of Jesus Christ. As a child, they say to us, you know, Jesus, when God sees you, he doesn't see you, he sees Jesus. I thought that's ridiculous. But it's not ridiculous. When God sees you and your blood has been changed and washed by Jesus Christ and you have his DNA, when God takes the blood test, he sees Jesus's DNA because you've had a heart transplant. But that mouth of yours, (laughs) don't blame Jesus for that mouth. It's still yours. And don't blame the devil. The devil didn't make you do it. He's busy doing other things. Here's the point. We need a bone marrow transplant, a blood transplant, 
I just don't need a quart of blood to infuse my excitement. I actually need it changed. I need the DNA of Jesus Christ in my life. And at the end of the day, his DNA matters because God wants his. You are still you. I am still me. But we are living in Jesus Christ. And that's what this story is about. Put off the old, be renewed in Jesus Christ, and put on the new. Let's pray together.